Meet the Dev, the weekly podcast of ST Times. And now, here's Jenna Barron, news editor at ST Times. Welcome back for another episode of the podcast. Today, I'm speaking with Trey Doig, CTO and co-founder of Pathlight, which is a generative AI company. We're going to be talking about how to build infrastructure for running large language models, maybe more commonly known as just LLMs. So to start off, can you introduce yourself and what your background with LLMs is? Yeah, sure. Thanks for having me, Jenna. So uh, my name is Trey, uh, Trey Doig. I am the co-founder and CTO of a company called Pathlight. Uh, we're building a conversational intelligence tool that uh, is really built from the ground up, leveraging the, the huge breakthroughs we've seen in generative AI this past year. Um, our, our application makes use of, of numerous uh, LMs on the back end. Um, this is uh, sort of not only a product of a, a requirement due to the, the constraints of, of, of what our product is able to serve for our customers, but also the scale of data in which we're, we're processing day in and day out. Uh, so uh, as as much of the uh, industry and, and uh, tooling uh, around de- dealing with LLMs is, is sort of in its infancy, uh, our, our company has been uh, put in a position where we've had to build a lot of this infrastructure uh, in order to, to kind of build the products that we, uh, we sell to our customers. Mm-hmm. So I think at this point, most people probably know what an LLM is, but can we really quickly define what we're talking about when you say LLM? Sure, yeah. So LLMs are, are large language models, uh, are, are these large AI models that uh, are trained on, on massive amounts of, of text that uh, has, has been uh, crawled from the internet. Um, and these LLMs are, are generally uh, uh, built for a, a kind of general purpose use case, meaning that uh, what they're able to do uh, is, is deliver insights in, in a zero shot capacity. Uh, meaning there's no upfront training required. Uh, there's a sort of endless amount of, of, of uh, uh, capabilities of these systems, specifically in, in things like text summarization or question answering, or even uh, specific types of judgments uh, or really complex reasonings uh, are all made possible by this, uh, this technology called LLMs. So what are some of the like key components of building an LLM infrastructure? Yeah, so it, it really depends on the use case. Um, there's quite, uh, uh, quite a few uh, kind of emerging, um, very common use cases for, for LLMs. Uh, so if you're uh, uh, in pursuit of something that is attempting to leverage the, the, the capabilities of, of, of an LLM for the purpose of information retrieval, then you may be looking into uh, vector stores and embeddings. These are specific types of databases uh, specifically built to um, not only do sort of similarity searching ag- across large uh, blocks of text, uh, but also the, the, the sort of semantic capabilities of, of finding um, very uh, very similar uh, strings or, or examples of text within, once again, these large bodies of text. Um, and if you're building an application that requires it, then you, you typically need a, a specific piece of technology to uh, pull those uh, those vectors uh, from, from a, a very large amount of data. Um, if you are attempting to do um, 
uh, a, a sort of question answering type system. Generally, you're going to be faced with uh, the complexity of, of cleaning data and getting data ready for um, passing into LLMs. LLMs have, have a, a, a sort of unique constraint that is different from uh, a lot of other uh, database systems or, or, or API services in that uh, they typically uh, uh, limit the, the what's called a token window to a very small uh, size of, of data. So if you, for instance, wanted to pass in the entirety of a, of a book like Moby Dick, you would have some challenges in doing so um, in, in the LLM's uh, inability to process that much information in a single prompt. Uh, so there's lots of ingenuity and, and um, technical infrastructure required to uh, effectively make that possible. Uh, so if you wanted to ask a question about the, the Moby Dick book, uh, there's going to be some, uh, maybe some a strategy of, of chunking and chaining requests together in order to really get around this, um, uh, this technical limitation of, of the models themselves. Um, and at the end of the day, these, these large, at least in, in, in how, um, Pathlight uh, is, is building products on top of LLM. Um, they're, we're, we're really focused on, 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 on kind of the, um, uh, the text capabilities of, of these models and less so on all the other types of applications that you may see out there. Uh, so in doing so, um, uh, there is a process where you, you want to be as creative as you possibly can in, in what you're passing into the LLM so that you're not wasting any of that space available to you uh, in, that, in those token windows. Mm -hmm. So generative AI is one of those things that's like really surged in popularity this year. So it's kind of like a new thing that many companies are starting to experiment with. So with it being a new thing for a lot of people, what are some of the like common challenges that companies are facing when it comes to building these infrastructures? Yeah, I mean, I think the uh, maybe the most obvious one here is is the, your uh, any company's ability to actually host these models themselves. Mm -hmm. uh, there's there's huge challenges in doing so, not only from a cost perspective, but also in in the the availability of of the GPUs, which. Uh, the specific uh, component that um, is really a requirement to, to hosting these models. As, as those GPUs are, are, are pretty scarcely available and also very expensive, it's challenging to uh, uh, make yourself independent effectively from the, uh, the kind of managed and hosted LLMs out there like Anthropic or OpenAI. Um, so if, if you are in pursuit of, of, of of hosting these LLMs, um, you, you're and, and you are able to do so, and you have the resources available to do so. Uh, the next challenge is, is being able to uh, kind of pre, uh, approach anywhere near the scale or performance of those managed services. And like I said earlier, all of the sort of tooling and infrastructure in this space is is so very uh, early and and uh, kind of in its infancy. So there's lots of wrestling with um, you know very early stage free software uh, components that, that make all this possible. But um, I think beyond that, uh, going maybe a little higher up the stack, a little more high level here, 
if you're building applications that are are, are, are making great usage of, of the LLMs and, and you're building you're building products that um, are 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 really kind of relying on LLMs beyond just a couple features or two, you know, the types of features you might see uh, shoved away in the experimental lab section of your application. Um, you're going to be faced with this this need to really uh, uh, properly manage the the throughput and and uh, limits that are uh, generally uh, put on top of you. Not only in, uh, if you're reliant on the managed services, but even if you're hosting these yourself. Like I said earlier, that they're, they're these. A, a, a typical LLM will will generally be a much slower processor than what you would typically see in in, in a system like a, a relational database or, or, or a data store, for instance. Um, so, a lot of getting around this 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 challenge is is requires you to effectively interface with as many of these LLMs as you possibly can. Uh, so, building an application that is agnostic of the underlying LLM is something that has been uh, uh, a huge strategy of ours, not only to ensure that we always have the, the throughput capability to process our customers' data, but also to be able to very quickly and easily um, leverage these the, the constant updates and breakthroughs that we're seeing in the industry when it comes to these LMs. Um, not tethering your product to a, a single version or a single um, LLM model, uh, but having the capability of your application running on virtually any kind of LLM underneath it and having the, the, the capability to plug those in and out. So another thing that companies are kind of realizing as they're starting to experiment with this technology is this idea of like hallucinations where the model is like outputting something that's not necessarily true. So can you explain a little bit about what those are and like why it happens? Yeah, sure. So, um, like these LMs are, are trained on, on on massive and massive amounts of data, and um, it while it, it may uh, you, you may think that it, it contains you know the entirety of, of human knowledge uh, in the model, uh, what it's actually doing under the scenes is is, is sort of a uh, a magical uh, uh, guesswork. Uh, is, maybe is how I would describe it. Um, so, the, so it's it really just a sequence of probabilities and, 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 and stringing of words together to formulate responses. And in the end, it, it appears as if it's, it's highly intelligent and understanding of, of exactly what you meant. But really, it's just taking a, a sort of probabilistic path through this, this huge network of, of nodes of information. And sometimes that will be wrong. Sometimes those paths will, will lead the model uh, in, in a direction that's factually completely inaccurate. Uh, you know, for instance, just this morning, I was uh, trying to find an example of a famous painting, including a dog, uh, and, and it, it, it was leading me down all sorts of different pathways that were just totally inaccurate and incorrect, um, and which is rare. I actually don't even encounter much of these hallucinations, um, but they do happen, and, and you'll find that a it, it's typically the product of, of a prompt that is uh, worded maybe just very slightly uh, incorrectly. Also, the, these hallucinations can, can vary across model by model because each of these models are trained differently, uh, you know, different, uh, different numbers of parameters, but also the, uh, the data itself that it was trained on. So it can be unpredictable in terms of when they happen or how they happen, 
so if you're building applications that are um, uh, are, are, are leveraging LLMs and, and, and there's a uh, you know a high need for for accuracy or, or even consistency, uh, then it, it's on you to effectively create systems that help you understand that over time. Uh, and it's not something you can totally uh, kind of guard yourself against. Um, largely due to a lot of the conditions I, I mentioned earlier, where you know each model is different from one another, but also as these models update um, and and new versions are released, that can like introduce new types of hallucinations and, and, and regressions and, and uh, you know prompts that previously worked but are now generating a, a completely different response. Uh, so we've built a bunch of infrastructure internally to sort of evaluate this over time. So. Uh, we, when we're implementing uh, uh, a new customer, for instance, we, we generally will will do start with kind of a, a human-led approach here, where we'll, we'll validate quality to a level that our customer deems acceptable. And once that baseline is set, we we then put in uh, safeguards that continually run that analysis over and over again on a daily basis to to understand if there's any sort of regressions in that quality. And, and kind of monitor it uh, to the best of our ability that way. Are there like currently any best practices that people can take to prevent them from happening as frequently as they are currently? Yeah, yeah. There's there are some uh, there's some frameworks that that have emerged for this. OpenAI did release uh, a software called Evals uh, that help you uh, kind of build a, a sort of automated quality control testing rig. When it comes to establishing that baseline um, and, and, and getting to uh, that like high level of accuracy that you can use as your, um, you know, use in, in, in an eval, for instance, uh, generally best practice there is to use the, um, the larger parameter models, uh, the more kind of top shelf models like GPT-4, uh, ones that may be uh, generally not used by, uh, by your infrastructure, for, for cost or, or, or rate limiting uh, reasons, and instead use those those uh, large parameter models, those those expensive, uh, highly accurate, highly capable models, to uh, do your initial runs and uh, use that information as as that baseline, as it's typically guaranteed to be the the highest quality you could you could receive out of an LM. So, to give an ex a more concrete example, if you wanted to let's say, uh, set some, uh, some baseline for a system that was doing a real simple question answering from, from documents, you could use something like OpenAI's GPT-4 to, to run a full, full first pass of that, do some human-led feedback there, do some tuning uh, in, in your prompts. And once you've established a, a level of accuracy and, and acceptable quality, uh, use that information as, as your baseline and move forward from there. We're just about out of time for this episode, but before we sign off, is there a key takeaway you'd want listeners to leave with? Yeah, a uh, key takeaway here is that uh, this space is moving incredibly fast, uh, not only at the, the lowest levels in, in training, building of, of new large language models and, uh, and, and the techniques and technology that goes into building uh, the, these, these incredible AI models. But also on the other end of the spectrum, uh, on, on application development, companies are, are, are now able to build products for the enterprise that uh, unlock capabilities that have never really been uh, uh, 
successfully achieved through the Promises AI. I think uh, it's been a long time coming that software has promised uh, the, the capabilities of AI, and I think we're, we're really beginning to see it come to fruition, uh, all, all really being made possible by these huge breakthroughs in generative AI. Well, thank you so much for, for coming on the show today. Yeah, thank you for having me.